morning, everyone. And uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, if you have a Bible with you or on a device, could I invite you to uh, look up 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last week, we looked at verses 6 to 12, where Paul warns Timothy about the danger of loving money, which he says is the root of all kinds of, of evil. And in helping his young protege to avoid a train wreck in this whole area of his life, Paul offers an insight and an instruction. The insight was that godliness with contentment is great gain, to be content. Then the instruction is to run. Run from the love of money and run towards, pursue six virtues. Any challenge for you? What are the six virtues we are to pursue? Anyone remember? You can look it up like you're standing looking, hopefully. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. That's where we left it last week. But I finished last week, last Sunday, by saying that today we'd begin to think about how we should actually use and handle the money that we all have. And that takes us to 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19, where in the space of just three verses, we find some brilliant and specific commands and directives around this whole issue. Now, there is a sense in which Paul is still building on his teaching about godliness with contentment being great gain, but he's now keen to apply his... Now remember, having money or being rich is never condemned by Paul. It's never condemned by Scripture generally. But what is tackled, what is targeted, is our attitude towards money, what we actually do with it. And in this short section, just three verses, Paul indicates a proper use of money that benefits those who have it and benefits the wider community. So let's uh, stand together for the public reading, the short public reading of God's Word. Words are on the screen as well. So here's Paul's instructions to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Grab a seat. Some of us in this room are richer than others. That's just stating the obvious. I'm good at that. David Dunlop, specialist subject, bleeding obvious. I am good at that. But virtually all of us in this room are rich. Some are richer than others, but all of us in this room are rich. Now, I know a statement like that's going to provoke a reaction. Maybe even ruffle a few feathers. Good at that as well. But I need to be very careful. And I appreciate that I need to be careful with this. Because people's definition of rich is subjective. 
I doubt if very many of us in this hall would immediately or ever actually describe ourselves as rich in comparison to. And yet, according to a number of agencies and organizations, if you have sufficient food, if you have decent clothes, if you have a house or an apartment to live in, and if you have reasonable access to a reliable mode of transport, you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. Now, I know I could keep firing out statistics like that. And I'm not trying to send anyone on, on a guilt trip. I'm not trying to downplay any financial pressures that people here may be under, may be facing, may be worried about. But what I am doing is saying that whenever Paul begins this section by addressing the rich, most of us are in the frame. We can't kind of check out after the first five words. This applies. This relates to virtually every single person sitting in this hall. And what I want to do this morning is simply walk us through the text. I don't do that very often, but I'm going to do it this morning, just simply walk us through the text, make some connections, and try to discern some further biblical wisdom around this vitally important subject, the discipleship subject of money. Okay, so look at verse 17 with me. Paul urges Timothy to issue three commands to those who've got money. The first two are about what not to do. The third's the flip side, what to do. Command one and two, here it is. Do not be arrogant and don't put your hope in riches or in wealth. Or in another translation, don't be proud and don't place your trust in riches. You see, pride, as we all know, is a deadly sin. It's the top of the list of seven deadly sins. And it's a very real danger for those who've got money. Because when you have money and when you have possessions in a material world, it can often lead to arrogance or thinking you've somehow arrived or that as you look around, you're somehow better than others. And so vanity can, and Paul knows this, the Bible knows this, God knows this, vanity can easily creep in. Status symbols can become a priority. A tendency to boast can raise its ugly head in conversations and on posts. And Timothy is to urge those who have got money not to go there. Don't do that. And it isn't the first time that this warning has been sounded to God's people, especially if they've got a few quid and they've got some stuff. So way back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, whenever Moses told the Israelites that they were going to enter the promised land, here's what he said to them. He said, you see, when you enter the promised land, you're going to have plenty to eat. Not only are you going to have plenty to eat, you're going to be able to build really good homes. Not only that, you're going to get more cattle. You're going to get more sheep. You're going to get more silver. You're going to get more gold. You're going to have more possessions. It's all there in Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is what Moses was telling the children of Israel. When you enter this place, 
you're going to be rich. And so having money and having possessions is not wrong. I say that again. But Moses quickly follows up what he's just said by adding this line. But when that happens, don't be proud. Don't be proud. Pride is such a lethal sin. St. Augustine said it was pride that changed angels into devils. And pride has often been described as the sin from which all others rise and flow. Pride is this preoccupation with self. It's all about me, myself, and I. And the interesting thing is that I is the middle letter of both pride and sin. And when you're rich, when you have, there's a very real risk that you can begin to feel self-important. And so Paul tells Timothy to warn those who are rich, who do have money, which is nothing wrong, but just don't be arrogant. And here's the second thing they're not to do. Don't, don't put your hope in your wealth. You see, one of the problems with wealth is that it can give us the sense we're sorted. And therefore, money and not God, the gift and not the giver, becomes the object of our trust and if we go back to Deuteronomy 8, this is again is exactly what Moses was afraid of. He was heart scared that whenever the people were well off and well fed, whenever they had land, whenever they had nice houses and plenty of possessions, do you know what would happen, says Moses? There's a real tendency you're going to forget God. And it happens. And so he said this, when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Otherwise, when you eat and when you're satisfied, when you build your fine houses, when you settle down and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increased, which is all okay, and all you have is multiplied, then says Moses, this is what you've got to be careful about. Be careful that your heart doesn't become proud and you forget God. And the danger of being rich and the danger of having money is that you lose sight of God. Your focus shifts, your focus changes, and not in God you trust, but in money you trust. You become obsessed with it and its ability to deliver, to deliver and to satisfy. And what happens then? God slowly but surely gets squeezed out of your life, or more disastrously, he gets squeezed off the throne. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, will you please... Please urge people who have got money not to do that. Not to put their hope in riches. And he gives a reason why not. It's one reason. There's probably lots of reasons, but here's a stellar one. Riches are so uncertain. They're here today. They're gone tomorrow. They're not guaranteed. Any number of things could happen that might end up taking them from you. And if your trust is in them, then not only are they vulnerable, but you are. And so Paul says to Timothy, look, urge people, don't set your hopes on the uncertainty, the unpredictability, the unreliability of riches. But here's the third command. Here's the positive one. Here's the flip side. Here's what you should do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Here's what you should do. Put 
your hope in God. Why? Because God is ultimately and entirely trustworthy. Money's not. Wealth isn't. Riches aren't. God is. And as the Bible says over and over again, blessed are those who trust. Blessed are those whose hope is in the Lord. See those who depend on God. See those who look to God. See those who fix their eyes on the one who's totally reliable. You are blessed. You live the God-blessed life. And here's the very real benefits of this. It's a bit like the great gain of contentment. Those who put their hope in God will discover that he richly provides everything for our enjoyment. You see, the generosity of God is brought into sharp focus. God's not stingy. God wants us to appreciate the good gifts of creation, which not only meet our needs, but here's the thing, they are for our pleasure. God is not a cosmic killjoy. God has given us good gifts, not just to meet our needs, but so that we can enjoy life. So where is your hope this morning? Where's your trust? Is there a danger that we could be losing focus? Is our, our love for money or our love for God capturing our hearts right now? Don't be proud. Don't put your hope in riches. Put your hope in God. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You see, if you put your hope in money and riches, as so many in our world do, you'll eventually come to the same conclusion. And if you don't come to the same conclusion in this life, you certainly will come to that conclusion in the next. But if we put our hope in a trustworthy, open-handed God, then life becomes eternally meaningful. And our lives are truly rich. So let's move on. That's, that's verse 17 done. There's only two more, don't worry. Paul then urges Timothy to issue four more commands. We're going to have seven commands this morning to go away with. And so Paul now urges Timothy to issue four more. So here's what we are to do with our money. And it's in just in verse 18. And it's so simple. And it's so direct. It's so straightforward. It's so clear. Here's what Paul says you're to command those who've got money to do. Command them to do good. Command them to be generous. Command them to be rich in good deeds. Command them to be willing to share. That's it. Here is the God-honoring and proper way to use money. Four ways, all of them closely connected. And on one level, this summarizes our series in a nutshell, just in the space of one verse. So here's what our attitude towards money should be like. Be generous. Here's how we should handle money. Share it. Here's what should characterize our approach to money. Do good. Here's how to be really wealthy. Be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good works. It, it's a really easy grid to take away and use as a kind of filter. So here's some questions I want to ask you. And I've been asking myself this during the week. How have I used my money this week to do good and to bless others? What good deeds or good works have I attempted this week that has somehow made me richer as a result? In what ways have I been generous this week? 
as a reflection of God's generosity, as an image bearer of a generous God. And who have I shared my money and resources with this week? See, it's, it's simple. It's really simple. It's really straightforward. It's really clear. It's really direct. Here's how you use your money. And so Paul tells Timothy, just, just command those who've got it to do these four things. And I encourage all of us who belong to God to take on these explicit instructions. And again, Paul just doesn't leave them hanging. He says, here's the benefits. Here's actually what happens if you live this way, in this way. So here's the upshot, here's the outcome. In this way, you will lay up treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age. You know, a couple of weeks ago, as we thought about what Jesus said regarding laying up treasure in heaven, we asked the question, how do you do that? Because it's, 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 it's an obvious question to ask. Okay, Jesus, you say I'm not to lay up treasure on earth, but I'm to lay up treasure in heaven. How do we do that? And I gave some answers two weeks ago. Here's another answer. You do good. You be generous. You be rich in good deeds. And you be willing to share. It's not about buying our way into heaven. It's not about earning our future destiny and well-being. This is about how those who are destined for an eternal future with God are to live in the here and now. See, this is about reflecting and proving the reality of your faith. Our use of money, we've said this, is a window to our souls our use of money indicates whether we trust God and whether we have true faith in him. And in doing these four things, they reveal the condition of our hearts. Stephen said right at the start of the service, where your treasure is, is where your heart will be. Our use of money is a window to our souls. It reveals the condition and state of our hearts. Genuine Christians, it would seem, who have money must lay up treasure for themselves as a firm, strong underpinning for the future. And, end of verse 19, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly. You see, this is how to truly live. I'm very aware, and I was conscious as I was preparing this during the week, if I come here this morning and say, here are seven commands to take away, that you could be well within your right to say, David, just sounds restrictive, onerous, more burden, more things that we have to do. And yet, what Paul is saying to Timothy, urge people to live like this. Why? So that they may take hold of the life that's truly life so that they won't buy into the lies that our culture sells us. That he who dies with the most toys wins. That money makes the world go round. That money's what brings us happiness. And fulfillment's not. Do you know the only saying of Jesus 
that is recorded outside of the Gospels. I don't know if you know what it is. It's the only saying of Jesus that is recorded outside of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it appears in Acts, and Paul quotes him as declaring, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And you see, when we readily share our money, when we generously give it, when we use it to do good and to get rich in good deeds, we're truly blessed. It is more blessed, says Jesus, to give than to receive. Here is how to live a truly God-blessed life. And so in the space of three verses, we find seven commands for those who have got money, for those who are rich, for probably all of us sitting in this room. Seven commands that will guard against you falling in love with money. Seven commands that will ensure you lay up treasure in the right place. Seven commands that will prove you're serving their true master. Seven commands that will enable you to take hold of true life. Don't be proud. Don't put your hope in riches. Put your hope in God. Do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. So what's our response? What's our response? What will we do with our money today? What will we do with our money this week in light of God's word? Let's stand together. We're going to sing a final song, God of glory, we exalt your name. But just before we do that, again, I know I've had a, a number of periods of silence this morning. It's great. I know different people feel differently about silence. There's not very many contexts today in our world in which 300 people sit in the same room and are silent. And we've done it twice this morning already. I'm going to suggest we do it again. And I would just ask you, those of you who do belong to God, those of you who have been born again of the Spirit of God, those of you who claim to live in God and therefore are walking as Christ walked, and allow them to reflect back at you. And in your heart and in your mind, resolve, think through, what am I going to do with my money this week? in light of these. Gracious God, right from the beginning of this series, we've been saying that the starting point for all of us is, is your generosity towards us. God, may we be image bearers of a generous God.
Search our hearts, God. Enable us to handle our money in a way that does bring glory to you and reveals to whom we belong. And so God of glory, we exalt your name in which we pray. Amen.